It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It's Wednesday, June 28th. You are listening to A Public Affair. And I'm your host today. I'm Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you're listening to A Public Affair on volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio. WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We are pulling together tons of experts today on today's show. We have four guests joining us, and um, we've been talking about putting this show together for a couple of weeks. There's been a lot of conversation about the child care shortage nationally, but specifically here also in Wisconsin. There's a shortage of child care slots. There's a shortage of funding for child care workers. There's a shortage of child care workers. There's a shortage of the ability to pay for child care. Um, it's just getting more and more expensive because running a business of childcare is expensive, but not funded the way our public schools are funded. Here to talk about all the sort of complexities, we have two guests joining us for the first half, and then um, actually Ruth will be joining us the whole show, and then we have some childcare providers uh, joining us for the second half of the show. I'm really excited. So um, let me introduce the two guests we have right now. Uh, we have Ruth Schmidt. She's the executive director of the Wisconsin Early Childhood Association. Hello, Ruth. Hi, Carousel. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, all your work. I mean, it was great preparing for the show, reading all of the uh, policy papers and statements that you've put out. And I appreciate your advocacy and leadership on this. It's been great. Thank you. And Sarah Shaw is joining us. She's a senior education policy researcher at the Wisconsin Policy Forum. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Carousel. Great to be with you today. And it was wonderful reading um, all the things that you have put out in the Wisconsin Policy Forum. So again, thank you for all the leadership and research and allowing us to have the sort of compl complex conversation we're about to have. Um, I appreciate it. So let's get it kicked off here. Um, Ruth, can you talk to us about, let's get the facts straight first. Is, is there a shortage of childcare slots? Is that the way we should sort of refer to it? There is absolutely a shortage of childcare slots in the state of Wisconsin. It can be split different ways in terms of how you look at it, in terms of ages of children and shortages of available care in terms of whether you're talking about regulated care, which would be licensed or certified care situations, uh, whether you're talking about available unregulated care. But the bottom line is, it is very, very challenging for parents and caregivers with young children to find and afford care in the state of Wisconsin. Yes, it's true across our nation. Um, it is also significantly um, challenging in Wisconsin and anticipated to get significantly worse before it gets better. And the reports that I was reading preparing for the show and the numbers that I saw was approximately one slot for every three children under five. I mean, that's huge. One third of what is actually needed. That's nowhere near the level. Right. So what you're talking about is the concept of child care deserts. Um, child care deserts are marked by exactly what you said three or more children for every one regulated slot of care in a community. Um, I think the other piece that's a little hard for people to always grasp is that um, there are child care programs that exist across the state of Wisconsin that are operating with dramatically reduced capacity because of staffing challenges. So they may show up on the books as being a program that's offering slots for 100 children, and they can only offer slots for 80 children, 70 children, depending on staffing shortages, which is the other really critical challenge that's facing this industry. So it seems like I appreciate that there's so many different levels to it. So one is perhaps there's just not enough child care providers. Um, but second, 
the child care providers that we have, they're not at capacity. Tell us a little bit more about what that means. So when we talk about capacity of care in Wisconsin, um, we're talking about the early education profession. Uh, these would be um, adult caregivers that work in group child care facilities, what we think of as multi-classroom buildings that are uh, providing care for kids during the day while their parents are at work and their caregivers are at work, Um, and also the uh, industry of family child care. Um, You alluded to this in your opening comments, and I'm sure Sarah can talk about this also in terms of um, what was found in the study that they did and that they recently released. Um, But when you look at this industry, there has There has been a shortage of individuals in the early care and education industry in Wisconsin for a very long time. It is marked by very high turnover. Um, Sometimes that's as high as four out of 10 teachers leaving childcare classrooms every single year, which is Mm -hmm. really bad for kids. Um, It's marked by incredibly low compensation. um, And uh, it is also marked by lack of access to benefits that many of us take for granted. And so you have a highly educated um, industry of people that want to work with young children in our state, and they simply can't afford to. Um, And I would actually turn this over to Sarah, because I think Mm -hmm. in her report, um, when you look at some of what child care teachers are dealing with uh, in this workforce and their own um, food insecurities and household economic challenges that they have themselves, Uh, It just makes it very hard for people who want to be caring for and educating our youngest children to actually stay employed um, in this field. Well, Sarah, why don't we um, pivot that to you? Tell us a little bit about, you know, we're hearing how child care centers, maybe they have capacity. I I think of uh, I have two teenagers right now and I think about when my daughters went to child care, they uh, went to a, a place and there's many classrooms and, you know, you could be in the three-year-old classroom and the green classroom and the lion classroom and all the different fun names and that each of those classrooms had, you know, a dozen cubbies or so you think, okay, these schools can fit this many people, but they're not taking that many people. Sarah, what are one of the reasons of why they're not taking that many people is because of the lack of appropriate wages for uh, child care educators. Talk to us about that. So when we think about the wages that our early childhood educators are making, one angle that we took in our report, which was released back in May called Not Mere Child's Play, looking at the economics of this industry, we benchmarked the hourly wages of early childhood educators in Milwaukee County specifically, and we'll be looking statewide in a future report um, against some other competing industries where any any educator might turn to work instead just to see how it compared. Mm-hmm. And when we think about a lead teacher in an early childhood center that is the, the top rated center type in Milwaukee County, kind of doing the best that our quality rating system can capture and with the highest level of credentials that it that an educator might have, um, they're making below what they could make if they were starting out at Target or starting out at a big box store. So to give us some specific numbers, we modeled um, that that sample lead teacher making $14.82 an hour. At Target, they can start at 15. Mm -hmm. Um, And presumably, not always, customer service is a very difficult industry, but as the mother of a six-month-old, there's also a lot of challenges that comes with running a classroom full of very small children. And Irrational, opinionated, don't listen to anything you say. That's what children are. They're children, not adults, yes? And there are very good reasons for having those ratios be low so that everyone stays sane and safe and healthy. that's looking at the retail side of it. There's also, for example, going into the public school district. An educator might choose to say, go work in pre-K or kindergarten at the public school district, or even as a paraprofessional who's offering classroom support. And there too, the wages are much higher. And often, as Ruth pointed out, are coming with benefits attached to them that many of our childcare providers cannot afford or are not able to offer to their educators. So it's in many ways an industry built on a labor of love um, where the numbers often just do not work out, um, Mm -hmm. not only for our 
educators, but also for the operators themselves. This is not a case of paying low wages because an operator is pocketing the money and driving off in a Lamborghini. This is an industry worth very thin margins where if an operator did want to pay educators more, that's often coming at the expense of the parents who are already paying a lot out of pocket. It's I really appreciate hearing sort of the, the first half of how how low wages are. I mean, I think about, you know, we all tell anecdotal stories of our own family. I have a 17-year-old who has a summer job who is making more. And she's a 17-year-old. She doesn't even have a high school degree. Uh, and she's making more than these over, overly wonderfully educated wonderfully qualified childcare providers. It's just sort of overwhelming to, to think about that. Can you now, Sarah, tell us more detail about, right, the initial thought is, okay, well, then the answer must be pay them more. Of course no one's going to stay at your job. That's like, right, economics class 101. If you pay $12 an hour and someplace else pays $15 an hour, no one's going to work at the $12 an hour. So how come it's so much more complicated than that, that there's not extra money just laying around to increase um, the teacher's salaries. A lot of it comes down to the ratios by which we say, how many staff do we need to have to be able to care for the children in these centers or when it comes to families in, in homes? And these ratios are set at levels that are in the state aligned with the national recommendations. So for example, if you have four infants in a room, there needs to be at least one adult there with them. If you have 13 four-year-olds, there needs to be at least one adult there with them. And these ratios are put in place for, as I said, everyone's safety, health, and sanity. But what it means is that when revenue is coming in from the tuition that parents pay, it's getting spread out across many staff. And so even though the revenue coming in might be high because parents are paying a lot out of pocket or are getting subsidies from the state that are trying to help make up some of that cost. That cost and money comes into providers who are immediately then turning it around to pay their educators, but spreading that pot out many different ways so that any individual educator is not going home with a lot in their pocket. And the operator is stuck trying to do this go-between of revenue into wages without having much of a margin to work with to be able to um, make amendments that could help them raise wages or lower tuition. Was there ever a scenario, uh, Sarah or Ruth, was there ever a scenario within this this worked? It, it sounds impossible to run a child care center, a daycare center. Um, so I'll just jump in. Yeah. Um, in our country, I would say it's virtually impossible um, to do what you're talking about, right? Every other wealthy nation has sort of figured this out. The United States is sort of woefully behind uh, what other countries have figured out. Uh, and I think partly this is like this conversation about the economics of childcare, right? So um, you often hear the concept of childcare being a broken business model, and Sarah was alluding to this, right? Mm -hmm. There is simply not enough revenue to come in to cover the costs, um, and so we end up in market failure because there's a high demand for care. Typically, when there's a high demand for a product or service, you can raise the cost of those products and services, and people can choose to consume that, right? With childcare, our economy relies on parents being able to show up for work. The only way that parents with young children can show up for work is if they have a safe, healthy, enriching environment with adults that care about their kids that are providing for care for those children. The fact that our country does not invest significant revenue into childcare is highly problematic. Um, and so it becomes impossible for childcare programs to raise their rates enough to actually compensate their teachers in competitive ways with what our school districts are able to pay with comparable education. 
Um, you can't even compete with the, the targets, with the quick trips, with the Amazon distribution centers. Um, and we don't value uh, we don't value this work enough in our country um, to build the political and public will to demand sort of a significant public investment in it. And I think that's part of hmm. um, I think that's part of the challenge we're facing in Wisconsin right now, um, including and we can talk about this later in the program. But you know we've got the uh, the Senate meeting today to take up. The state budget. The state budget, right. Um, and It had funding and it got taken out. The yes. governor had proposed funding. Joint mm-hmm. Finance Committee took that funding out of child care counts. Right. Um, and there's going to be catastrophic um, consequences to well, that. Yeah. And absolutely, let's get into that a little bit. Um, but I want to make sure we take advantage of Sarah as long as we have her for the first half. Um, thank you for that, Ruth, by the way. Um, Sarah, do you... You know, building upon um, what Ruth was just telling us, do we know a little bit about the history of how we got here? It's built on a failed model, and you know, maybe this is too out of the uh, you know out of the realm of the work. But my initial thought is right because it's built on a, a level of sexism of mothers took care of their children or grandmothers took care of their children and women stayed at home and also traditionally this is not a shocking statement traditionally jobs jobs that traditionally women did are underpaid in american society beyond perhaps even world society right we'll have we'll talk about america today um is is that part of any conversation about the fact and are people surprised when you tell them this system never worked because you think well i made it through preschool my parents made it through preschool and this system never worked sarah do you have any thoughts on that yes there was a, a moment in history where there was investment by the federal government into child care okay um, and it addressed exactly some of the issues that you and Ruth are pointing to um, of being able to have a model by which, in this case, the federal government said, this is a thing that we care about that we will make happen in order to provide care, in order to provide uh, quality care for our children, to raise them up as part of what is beneficial to society for our the future, um, and also part of what we need for our workforce so that we can have, in that case, historically women available to participate in ways other than being at home with children. Um, That experiment is largely viewed as having been innovative and fairly successful and was then not renewed. So we had this kind of brief moment in which things looked different and at this point are now not even quite back to where we were previously because there has been the introduction of women into the workforce. Um, But we also see time and time again that when childcare costs get too high and when families decide that they might opt out, there is an alternative. It's not that, I mean, the childcare industry might come crashing down, but the state doesn't come crashing down. However, that alternative is built upon a parent or guardian deciding to stay home and deciding to remove themselves from the workforce, which has implications not only for um, kind of the the isms that you point to, because Mm -hmm. it is often the woman who is staying home, um, if we're talking about a a, a traditional couple, um, but also for our workforce and for employers, that this this market um, challenge, failure, et cetera, is one not just for families, for operators, for early childhood educators, but also for employers who in a in a tight job market like we see today can ill afford to lose potential workers because they can't afford childcare. Right. Well, and there's so much more to that. I mean, my my J job, I'm a uh, tenant rights attorney. And I, I guess what I'm doing after the show today, we have, um, I'm going to eviction court to defend uh, people from getting evicted. And Dozens of my clients at all times are individuals who are single parents who are not working because they are home with their child and they had to take hours off from their job or step away from their job or lost their job because of childcare issues. And now they can't afford rent, understandably, who could afford rent if you don't have a job. So the cycle just keeps going on and on of really serious consequences. I mean, and I know the two of you know this. So 
Sarah, where does child care centers and child care workers, where do they get their pay then? Where is the money coming from? So the bare bones model that we looked at presumed that most of the money was coming solely from parents, um, which in a scenario like that is how you get such high rates. Um, the rates that we were looking at, we've got average cost of care in Milwaukee County is higher than annual on an annual basis than in-state tuition at any of our UW system right. colleges. Right. Um, so on the backs of parents is a really difficult place for that onus to land. There are some other potential funding streams, although not all centers or family providers are able to tap into them. So things like food subsidies offered by, or rather reimbursements offered by the federal government that can help offset the, the cost of food or um, philanthropy can sometimes play a role here. Um, the Department of Children and Families is running a fairly innovative program right now um, called Partner Up that allows employers to really think about how can they be part of solving for um, the for this disconnect as well. But all of this depends on how can we get more revenue into the system. And I think potential solutions are really divided on how much of that should come from the government, from taxpayers, from philanthropy, from em employers, et cetera. But it is very difficult to figure out how to make the economics work without some form of additional revenue coming into the system. And Sarah, I know we only have you for a few more moments. So has there been any conversation about why aren't we doing childcare the way we do public schools in America? That question comes up a lot. It's it's such a natural comparison um, because when we think of our K-12 system, we have dedicated funding streams devoted to ensuring that all children are guaranteed access to a free and public education. Um, to the tune of over $12,000 per pupil on operating costs here in Wisconsin. And that has not historically been how we've chosen to fund childcare. We fund childcare mm -hmm. more like a small business um, while also regulating it as a public good. Now, it's not wholly unique in that way. You can think about how um, healthcare or food or these other basic needs that we have as a society are also not necessarily um, enshrined the way that that K-12 education is, but it does provide for a kind of stark comparison but as a tale of two, two separate um, education systems. Well, Sarah, I know you have to go at 1230, but it's been so wonderful talking with you. Thank you for joining us and talking to us about the work uh, that you're doing. And I want to encourage everyone to look at the work um, being done by the Wisconsin Policy Forum. You can find it online. But um, Sarah Shaw, Senior Education Policy Researcher with the Wisconsin Policy Forum, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Carousel. Have a great rest of your day. You too. And um, Ruth, we have uh, some child care providers joining us, but I wanted to pivot to you just for a second. Can you, um, if this is an okay question to ask you, you'll let me know. Um, can we sort of have a quick reminder on why early education is so important. I mean, I know that's a whole that's a whole show on its own, but how we don't value somehow in America we we very poorly, so I, I hate to chew its horn of our free public education, but we do. My children go to Madison Public Schools from kindergarten to twelfth grade. I haven't paid a penny for any of that. Um and their teachers are wonderful and they are getting a very good education. But we don't value birth to, to five and how it, it feels like it's been really well established how important education social interaction all the things that happen in child care centers uh from birth to five how important that shapes a child and their success as an adult social emotional development of children is the cornerstone of all cognitive learning social emotional intelligence and development in children happens in really significant ways in early learning programs. These are the times of a child's life when enormous brain development is happening, when neurons are forming at these crazy paces that we can't even consider in terms of millions of neuron connections happening in their brains. Um, and I think we just don't we don't recall that uh, when we're having these conversations, right? Yeah. We can have an entire conversation about childcare without talking 
about children. Mm-hmm. We can have it about the economy. We can have it about parents' abilities to work. We can have it about community livability. We can have it about businesses' abilities to hire employees and never once talk about what is happening for children in care. And that is Why, where is so important. child care really shines. And you're going to have two remarkable people that can talk about that in just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get to them. We have Abby Kraus joining us. She's the executive director of The Playing Field. And we also have Brooks Goodmore. She is the founder and co-owner of The Growing Tree and co-founder of the Wisconsin Early Childhood Action uh, Needed. Am I doing that right? Not network. I want to make sure I got the last word right there. Um, thank you both so much for joining us. Hello, Abby. Hello, Brooke. Can, can you both say hi so we can, right? It's the radio world. We want to identify the voices. So, Abby, say hello to us. Hi. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you. And hello, Brooke. Hi. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Abby, why don't we start with you? Talk to me about the work that you do, again, as the executive director at The Playing Field, uh, and and the challenges you face on a daily basis as a child care provider. Yeah, so the playing field is a unique model for early care and education in that we intentionally integrate children from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So a portion of our families pay full tuition, a portion of our families receive child care subsidy and scholarship funds that we raise through private donations, and a portion of our children receive grant funding, and that grant funding prioritizes children impacted by homelessness, so we provide bus transportation, we provide um, children need a bath or their clothes washed, we take care of those needs. So we have a pretty unique model. Mm. And um, I think like every childcare provider, keeping our staff well compensated is a huge challenge and they certainly deserve a, a livable wage. The work that they do is very challenging and it's very important. And I think that's probably always at the front of my mind is how do we take care of the people who are taking care of our youngest citizens? And expand a little bit on why is it a challenge to pay your teachers and staff the wage that you think they deserve and that you wish you could pay them? Well, as uh, Sarah was talking about earlier, there's only so much you can ask parents to pay for, right? There's there's a cap to what parents can afford to pay. So um, having we have a diverse funding model so that we aren't relying totally on parent tuition, but our privately funded families are paying all the costs for their child's care, and there's only so much that they can afford to pay. And then when you think about children who receive a child care subsidy, there's a gap between what a child care subsidy pays for and what the true cost of quality care is. And uh, we make up that gap through all kinds of different fundraising. And, um, you know, Sarah kind of alluded to uh, to that, that some programs can do that, but not all programs can do that. And um, so we're we're just like everybody else trying to do the best we can. Our, our model is built on the belief that if you take good care of teachers, they can take good care of children. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of programs where teachers are working all day in a really challenging environment and then go and work at Quick Trip in the evenings. And that shouldn't be, that should not be happening. Thank you, Abby. Um, Brooke, I wanted to hear your take on it, too, um, as the, the work that you do as a child care provider and the challenges you have in, in running. You know, the first half of the show, we were sort of talking about how this is an impossible business model. And yet here you are running a business, trying to make it move forward with not enough funding to to be successful. What is your perspective? Um, similar with Abby, the the biggest challenge in the 10 years that I've been doing this, even pre-COVID, is the teacher's wages, um, even getting them to earn a living wage so that they are not on assistance because over half of us in the state are on some form of final uh, financial assistance, even though we're working full time. So, and for me, my parents, a lot of them can't afford to increase that. And I know with the budget, um, being denied the child care counts, which has kind of kept our doors open these last few years. Um, they are saying they in- increase the subsidy rate, but I think what they fail to understand is for those to stay open now that are going to be in the state are going to be increasing their their tuition rates. So the subsidy rates are not going to be enough because tuition has just is gone up now. And so it's going to be even more expensive for parents. And I don't think that some of our legislators understand that with the subsidy Hmm. and the tuition rates and what's going to happen. Um, So there's definitely um, 
some opportunities where I do think child care providers should be at the table when some of these decisions are being made because decisions are being made from people that have no idea about this profession um, and the the stress and unfortunately so many people equate this to babysitting mm-hmm. and as Ruth said these are the foundation years the the brain development for these kids is so critical to the type of person they're going to become and we have so much influence and um, especially children facing adversity. We are a lifeline for those children. We have the opportunity to buffer those children against the adversity. And we are doing nothing as a state to support that. Our state childcare is not a line item in the budget. And um, this last budget cycle, they're offering 15 million of state funding for um, loans, revolving loans, and that doesn't make sense because the closure rates are going to be very high. 25% is what the surveys are showing. So why would we put $15 million into opening up centers when so many are closing because it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. And the frustrating thing that um, I think people don't understand is that education piece. Just as we support the education through our public school systems, we need to be supporting these children. And one of the the things that I have heard is why would you support a private company like a private child care like myself? Um, Why should the state have to do that? And it's similar to uh, a private school receiving funding. Sure. Um, Well, if the state wants to open some private school, uh, public schools for, you know, K, uh, birth to five, go ahead. But that doesn't seem to be something the state's interested in doing. No. And um, our, our, I mean, to go back, our Constitution says a free public education and the most critical time of education is those first five years. So why we are not doing that and why are we OK to spend the money on our correction system? Uh, you, you know, I've said before, twelve hundred dollars a day, a few weeks, this this same committee, the Joint Finance Committee, agreed to that for a juvenile intake daily. So I don't know if I have to turn my center into some kind of like juvenile detention, baby jail to get funding for these kids so that families don't have to, you know, make this right. choice between working or having quality child care for their kids. Our priorities in the state are very much askew right now. Well, it, I want to remind everyone we are talking right now about the state of child care in the state of Wisconsin. If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. We have Mary Jo uh, ready to take your call. We have Sholly and uh, Dave in the studio. They can... Um, connect you through to us or if you want to just pass a message on to us here in the studio we're happy to hear it too just give us a call at area code 608-256-2001 extension 9 ruth i wanted to touch base with you a little bit and i don't know if you had any thoughts on what we just heard or to help us sort of understand can you break down the funding there there was funding that came through during COVID from the federal government. Is that correct? Should we so, start there or yeah, somewhere else? No, we'll start there and I'll just try and put it really quickly into perspective so we can talk more about what happens when this funding is gone. Okay. So pre-COVID, Wisconsin puts in the bare minimum of state revenue to draw down our child care block grant from the feds, right? That amounts to approximately a $50 investment into every child under the age of five in the state of Wisconsin. That's what our taxpayer dollars are doing right now. $50 per year per child under the age of five. That's the amount of money we're putting into our state budget. Okay. During the pandemic, the feds dedicated significant resources directly into child care. The governor couldn't do anything else with these resources. The budget committee of our legislature couldn't do anything else. These were dedicated to child care. In Wisconsin, we received about $800 million. Close to $700 million of that is dedicated directly into going into the bank accounts of child care programs so they can pay their staff. They can keep from raising tuition for families that rely on those services. They can invest in quality improvements. They can do bonuses. It can help with hiring and retaining staff. 
this has been a lifeline. This is $22 million a month that Wisconsin has been able to put into the pockets of child care programs to keep them from needing to dramatically raise their rates. In January of 2024, that money will be gone, completely gone. And I think what we will see, and I know that both Abby and Brooke can talk about this, what we are really anticipating, it's been surveyed, it's been surveyed nationally, across our country, we are heading into what I would call sort of a childcare freefall in terms of closures, in terms of raising tuition by as much as 40%, in terms of reducing staff wages and benefits. Uh, and I think it is gonna, it's gonna create an incredible crisis for families in our state. Thank you for that, sort of laying out where where we are and where we're headed. And there was a proposal in the governor's budget to put funding in, and that proposal, that proposed funding was removed by the Republicans in the Wisconsin State Legislature. Yeah, and I just really quickly want to say, and I think um, others can comment on this too, um, in the five days after Joint Finance took their action, um, we are the lead on an organ on an effort called Raising Wisconsin. It's a multi-sector um, advocacy initiative. We had seventy-five thousand letters sent to the Capitol wow. to members of Joint Finance and Republican leadership, calling for an investment into childcare. These voices are not being listened to, um, and it's going to hit parents and it's going to hit providers. Well, and I mean. The millennials are the ones with children right now, and and it's just the the timing. I, I would hope that they're, they're a pretty large, numerous uh, generation. I would hope that there would be a lot of voices pushing on back on this. And of course, we need voices that aren't directly impacted because we're all we're all indirectly impacted. Society is completely impacted when we uh, do not educate and care for our children. Um, Abby and Brooke, let's go back to the two of you about your thoughts on, on the funding. And Abby, can you tell us a little bit about um, the impact that the uh, federal funding had on your ability to be um, to provide childcare um, from COVID to current? And and what what how do you feel about the state budget as it is right now? Yeah. So the playing field was able to offer our staff wage increases with that child care counts money at a time when the cost of everything was going up. Their cost for gas was more expensive. Groceries were more expensive. Every one of their living expenses were going up. They desperately needed an increase in wages. And we were able to provide that increase in wages so that they could keep up with the rising costs of everything without passing that cost on to parents. And I think that's what is going to be a big surprise to a lot of families is that um, the cost of childcare has gone up. They just haven't borne the burden of it yet. And as a program, you know, we have some choices. If this funding goes away and, and isn't put back in the budget, we can close, which is going to be devastating to our communities and our families. We can pass that cost on to parents, which will cripple families and make things really hard for them. Or we can do it worse. We can try to do it for less and do it worse. And that impacts children. The daily experience of children matters. Children might spend, if they're in childcare full time from birth to five, it's 10,000 hours that they're in childcare. And 10,000 hours when their brain is developing and they're setting the mental models for they're going to operate with for the rest of their lives, to spend 10,000 hours in a poor quality childcare center is unacceptable. No one should be okay with that. So it really is important that we are funded. Thank you, Abby. Uh, Brooke, your thoughts on that, and it would be good to also hear about maybe some specifics of what does it take to be, you know, not just a basic childcare place where children are literally there and literally safe, but a place where they are learning and intellectually challenged age appropriately. Um, so for the second question, it it's really about the relationship between the child and the teacher, which is going mm. to indicate what quality is. Um, for these children, they need to feel safe with their caregiver and be in a space where they are loved and cared for. And that's so critical for brain development. 
And when you have a 40% turnover rate in early childcare, because teachers are realizing, you know, you can't, you, you can't, can't make a living it. doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, the turnover rate is high. So it's really hard to, to provide that quality because we can't get the teachers and we can't get the teachers because of the wages. And similar to Abby, part of the funding required us to either add increase the wages, which it went from 1066 an hour in the state to 1266. So it worked. It did increase the, the funding that we got did increase and it did stabilize the field. And that's why we're talking about the child care cliff. As Ruth had said, we're, we're essentially sounding the alarm. Many of us are going to quit. Those of us that stay open are only going to be accessible for the wealthy that can afford those high rates. And the Joint Finance Committee, um, those wealthy people will be able to afford it even more because those are the people that also just got the highest tax cuts. Mm-hmm. That was the priority and the for the state. Budget. Was yes. If you make a million, your tax cut will be around twenty to 30000 But if you make 50000 it's $88 a year. So that's where the Joint Finance Committee priority priority in the state is the wealthy because they cut this even though over 80% support funding childcare. So those are people that are not listening to their constituents and this is what's going to happen. Um, we're not going to have much of a workforce because a lot of female will be leaving the their jobs. And Brooke and Abby, have you seen impacts uh, within your centers of people uh, that work for you that you wish you could keep but have moved forward or impacts on families that can no longer afford to be uh, to send their child to your program? Yes, I can speak to that. Um, I have teachers, yes, all the time that leave that I wish I could keep. Um, the average is four out of five people with a degree in early childcare don't even work with kids anymore. So that tells you people have a passion for these children, but no, they can't make a living off of it. So yeah, I just lost one um, this past year to a school because they can go to the the public school and have benefits I can't give them yep. and pay that I can't give them. And Yet those those teachers that leave say they want to stay, but they have to think about their family and financially supporting them. So I am continuously losing teachers that I would love to keep, um, and it's because of the wages. Thank you, Brooke. Abby, you, you as well have similar stories, I'm sure. Yeah, we have um, a little bit different funding model because of our because of the way our model is structured. And so we've been able to stay competitive with staff wages and we have seen the effects of that. We have almost no turnover within our organization, which shows it can be done mm-hmm. if it is funded. And that's the that's the key difference, right? Because I'm able to fundraise privately, uh, we rely heavily on donations and grants. Because I'm able to do that, I'm able to pay a competitive wage. And we have seen really a drastic reduction in our staff turnover rates. I think for next school year, we only have one teacher who's not returning. And um, she's leaving the field altogether, but that's one out of all of our staff that's not going to be returning for the next school year. So as Brooke said, there are people that want to make a career out of this, but they also have to be able to pay their own bills and put food on their own tables. And Ruth, what numbers are you seeing when you're you're looking across the state of the impact of, of this lack of funding? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're anticipating is probably 60% of child care programs will have to raise their rates really dramatically. Um, we'll have deeper child care deserts. Um, we're hearing already about programs that are closing, programs that will be cutting wages, programs that are located in really income-challenged communities that no parents won't be able to afford anymore, and they're going to have to cut wages for their staff. Um, but I also, I wanted to sort of follow up with Abby, maybe. Um, Abby, can you do have this interesting model, and I think... Um, childcare is one of these industries where you do have childcare programs that fundraise to keep their doors open, right? Like there's no other business model other than like nonprofit organizations that fundraises. You don't have 
Uh, you don't have auto companies fundraising to keep their doors open. Um, you don't have retail fundraising to be able to pay their staff, right? Right. Childcare does this. They write grants, they fundraise, they do bake sales, they do whatever they have to. Abby, I'm wondering if you can also just comment on what will this loss of childcare counts mean for your program? Specifically, like what will happen when Child Care Counts money goes away? So as an organization, we make a decision to give our staff a permanent salary increase with that CCC funding and knowing that it could go away and then we would have to figure it out, which is where we're at as an organization right now. If this money goes away, we're going to have to figure it out. And I don't know what that means. It could mean cutting positions. It could mean having fewer staff in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we would make a decision to cut staff wages. I don't know how we could even survive if we made that decision. And um, there is a point, Ruth, and I'll just be honest, like I got into this field because I wanted to do good things for children. And if I ever got to the place where I felt that my program wasn't able to care for children well, I would rather walk away than do it badly. That's, I mean, that's pretty telling. I mean, clearly everyone that works in this field is is there because of the passion and dedication, uh, dedication, or they wouldn't be doing it. Uh, and the, how sad to think that all the people that were pushing out and the impact on children's lives. And I do want to say one statistic that we haven't covered yet, which um, was in the report uh, that Sarah Shaw uh wrote which said and these are the numbers now today 22 percent of annual meeting income for four-year-olds in milwaukee is needed uh to pay for child care so i said that a little backwards 22 percent of families annual income is what people are paying on average in milwaukee for a four-year-old to go to child care the federal recommendation is seven percent that that number is more than triple that's how ridiculous and unobtainable it is today ruth can you talk to us in our our sort of final moments here about what can people do what what are solutions that we have on the horizon before we fall off this cliff so i want to talk about today i want to talk about like what do we need right this exact moment okay good parents when they can't find care they don't think to call their legislator. When they can't afford care, they don't think to call their legislator. You don't think it's their fault. They go to their neighbor, they go to their friends, they go to their families, and they say, what can you do to help me out? This will not be a bigger issue for our legislature to consider if they are not hearing more from parents in terms of what this looks like for them. This isn't just gonna hit the childcare industry. This is going to hit working families. Mm -hmm. The only way they will be able to work will be to pay more for care, if it's even available. We have to turn this into a conversation where families are politically active in calling for their taxpayer dollars to be used to support an industry of childcare. We have to do better than putting in a paltry amount of money to draw down our federal match and be done with it. And what is the response that you are hearing from the state legislature and specifically are businesses working with you? Are they responding? I mean, there's such a low unemployment unemployment rate and people are having such a hard time getting the workers that they need. You would think that business, the business community in Wisconsin would be in support of this. We consider the business community to sort of be the third leg of a three-legged stool. Right Mm -hmm. now we have one leg, it's parents. Parents are what pays for childcare and it is a teetering industry. You need government to assist in it and you need businesses to do something in it. The minimum businesses can do is make sure that they are offering dependent care flexible spending accounts to all of their employees, right? It's remarkable the number of businesses Hmm. that don't do this. Mm -hmm. They can be making investments into childcare as a benefit for their employees. We need a three-legged stool. These are the three sectors. Parents benefit from this, business benefits from this, government benefits from this. We all need to be investing in it. 
we have just a few more minutes left and in our, our final moment here if everyone can sort of give us 30 seconds of what they would hope our listeners could take from this or 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 do on the their next action i know brooke um if you are able to unmute so we can hear you again um what what are your thoughts and what would you hope happens next um i think <laughs> Well, I want the funding. I want us to invest in our kids. Um, I mean, again, going back to our state's priorities, our children in the state are the the largest demographic of people in poverty. It's our children in a state, and that's sad. And we are doing nothing to help them. And I, I mean, I've been advocating and to to have the the Republicans and the Joint Finance at two in the morning cut it without any reasoning. Yeah. Um, I, I need us to vote, I guess. They're not representing us because they're not listening to us. So I need people to vote, um, vote them out. They're not representing us. And so I guess my, my last thing is it's really important to, to, to know your candidates and what they stand for and if they have the same values as you. Thank you, Brooke. I really appreciate you joining us today and, and, uh, all the advocacy that you've done, uh, on the front lines at the Capitol and as a child care provider. Abby, your final thoughts on um, moving forward from here. I just, what I see on a daily basis is children and families are stretched thin and our kids are screaming at us that what we're doing isn't working. We've got to figure out how to prioritize young children. And that should matter to everybody, no matter what party you're in. Thank you, Abby. Uh, and, Ruth, final thoughts on, uh, we did, I mean, I appreciate you and Brooke and Abby all talking about, you know, get involved in the legislative process. Are there things that can happen next? If this isn't successful in the budget, talks of separate proposals or other things that can move forward? I mean, I guess my answer to that is to also look to what's happening at the federal level. There Mm -hmm. is a lot of conversation happening in terms of, especially in the Senate right now, in terms of some really significant investments into child care, including investments into the workforce and compensation. Um, So I think that's the other piece that we can do right now, which is to put some political pressure uh, on our state, um, on our um, congressional delegation in Wisconsin to ensure that's the next best chance that we will have to see a big investment in child care. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all of you for joining us today. Brooke Skidmore, the founder and co-owner of The Growing Tree. Abby Cruz, the executive director at The Playing Field. And Ruth Schmidt, executive director at the Wisconsin Early Childhood Association. It's been fabulous talking with all three of you. And I really appreciate the advocacy and leadership you are all bringing uh, every day for all of Wisconsin, and especially Wisconsin's children. Thank you so much. And a huge thank you to share Sarah Shaw, who joined us for the first half of the show. Um, thanks, Sholly, for putting this show together. Dave Engineering, Mary Jo for staffing the phones. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.